Welcome to Theory Lab, the American Cancer Society's research podcast. I'm Joe Cotter, here with my colleague, Dr. Susanna Greer. Susanna! How are you? <laughs> I'm better now. <laughs> right on. So it's Lung Cancer Awareness Month, November, and we've got a really good guest. This was uh, Dr. Efren Flores. What I really loved is he's got this patient-focused approach that's at the core of what he does, and his compassion really came through in, in your talk with him. He's a clinician and researcher. He's a radiologist at Massachusetts General Hospital, and he's an instructor in radiology at Harvard Medical School, where he's the officer for community health and equity. So, Susanna, what did you learn? Oh, you're right, Joe. This this was so much fun because his passion, and you're right, his compassion for patients absolutely was front and center. But let me just back up a second and say that. So, Efren has a clinical role. So, right, he's involved in clinical care in the thoracic division where um, he's working as a radiologist. He also, though, which is what we spent most of our time focused on, has a significant research part of his job where he's focused on disparities in radiology, which is something I, I don't think a lot of us think a lot about. Like, what are the barriers to screening? And he tells this really beautiful story and lays it out for us that you don't show up in radiology, right? You're not going to get a scan because things are going great. There's, there's something has happened. There is an acute problem. And if there are delays in you getting that screen, that those delays are going to result in delays in whatever is downstream of that, right? Whatever care. So he lays out lots of different scenarios where there might be barriers to people not showing up for appointments. Um, but the one that he spends a lot of time focused on was so interesting. And it was around um, individuals who have challenges in mental health. So individuals who are in this space, um, so if we think about like patients with schizophrenia, they have really high rates of lung cancer but significant and different barriers to screening. And they also have high rates of smoking. So he's going to tell you a beautiful story about what he and his colleagues have done around thinking about interventions, not only for this patient population, but for others. So I, I learned a lot. I think you will too. Good morning, Efren. How are you? Good morning. How are you? I'm great. I'm doing well. Well, we're so glad to have you. I. I am super excited to find out about what you've been up to, but I think just to help our audience understand your perspective, maybe you could just tell us a little bit about what you do. I mean, you're a radiologist, but there's a whole lot more than that. So maybe what what's an average day like for you? Well, thanks for having me again and for the opportunity. So I, what I do typically um, in radiology, um, I work in the thoracic and emergency radiology divisions and um, I provide clinical care for people that uh, come to our hospital at Mass General Hospital, and I uh, interpret a wide variety of studies, from CAT scans to MRIs to ultrasounds, and um, just plain radiographs and or X-rays. But beyond the clinical, or what we call the reading room, or the clinical work that I do, my passion is to better understand disparity in access to radiology care, to inform the development of um, interventions or programs to bridge the gap. All right. Fantastic. Well, let, let's dive down into that second part 
a little bit your interest in disparities in radiology. That's that's not something that all of us think about all the time. So I want to talk about that for sure and certainly want to understand how they relate to lung cancer. This is November, so we're spending a lot of time talking about lung cancer. But maybe help us understand, take us back one step. What does it mean? You talked about disparities. So what does it what does it mean to have equity in healthcare? Like what would be the best case scenario that we'd be looking for? To me, equity in healthcare is basically to have a fair access to high quality, timely care. Um, the goal is to provide care with no labels, with, uh, where the only goal is to partner with patients to achieve better health. Just um, patients come to, to a hospital or the healthcare setting in a time of need, and our duty as um, providers, no matter the specialty, is just to try to eliminate um, barriers that are outside the healthcare system or, or at least to mitigate the effect so people can just uh, focus on achieving the goal of better health for them. Oh, I love that. That was such a great explanation. I, I love that. No labels and your goal is to eliminate barriers. So maybe let's dive down into that a little bit and help us to understand. So what types of barriers, and I guess another word for that would be disparities, could exist in your field, like when you think about imaging services? Now, that's a great question. So some of the things that um, have been studied in radiology and that also our group has uh, looked at, for example, screening mammography and breast cancer outcomes and people that come from a lower socioeconomic background or underrepresented minority typically or traditionally have had difficulty connecting with the healthcare system. And so the health, the cancer care continuum starts from screening to diagnosis and, and treatment. And if I tell patients that the best therapy for cancer early detection. So in our role for radiology to enhance the, um, try to eliminate the barriers to increase participation in cancer screening, for example, screening mammography, and now that we have lung cancer screening, give early detection of cancer will give them the best shot. But we also studied, um, for example, patients in um, accessing advanced imaging, so particularly CT and uh, or CAT scan and MRI, and what we've seen is that People with Medicaid or people that come from community from low socioeconomic backgrounds or underrepresented minorities have increased likelihood of, of missed appointments. And those typically are labeled as no-shows, but the no-show la uh, label or terminology is really punitive on the patient side. It puts all the responsibility on the patient. And many times how patients connect with the healthcare system is... Um, share responsibilities between the healthcare system and the patient. So we call those miscare opportunities in radiology or imaging miscare opportunity because we really, um, it, that re better reflects our duty to engage with patients and bring them to, to radiology to provide care for them. And that mm -hmm. way it's more compassionate uh, term than just no-show that I think is more business-like and it just puts all the fault on the patient when many times it um, goes beyond that. Help us to understand a little bit, what have you found might be reasons that as you're trying to be more compassionate in thinking about these no-show appointments, what are some of the barriers, some of the reasons that people don't show up um, that we could think uh, of as uh, a disparity? No, absolutely. So I'll tell you that the patient, that I always go back to a patient that really put everything together for me. So, you know, one afternoon I was in the um, in the reading room, it was late in the day, and then a patient came um, 
late to uh, her MRI appointment after missing a couple of previous MRI appointments. And so I decided to just step out of the reading room and just go and talk to the patient because I just wanted to gather more clinical information about what brought her this time, what were her symptoms. I was surprised when I spoke with a patient who was Spanish speaker, and I'm, I'm from Puerto Rico, so I'm, I, you know, I'm definitely fluent in, in Spanish. And what she said is that she missed her other two appointments because she couldn't understand the reminder message that was in English. And she had a friend to uh, translate uh, the, the most recent reminder message, and that's why she came up. So what that made me think is you know, how many other patients are really missing appointments um, due to like things that are from the healthcare system that can be really fixed. So for example, that would be an easy fix to just send a reminder message in, in Spanish to her. And so that job, uh, it really, that, that moment or that encounter would really serve as an inspiration to take a deeper dive into uh, this area and see really um, where else the healthcare system or where else are we failing in patients or what, where can we, what can we do better to improve uh, how we connect with patients? And that's, not, you know, not only we see that um, language, for example, people with limited English proficiency or language barriers, and other people that think that in English is not their primary language may be a barrier, but also people with transportation uh, difficulties are also going to be a, um, a barrier. And sometimes people just cancel their, their appointment to timely care because they don't have somebody to pick them up or take them to their appointment. And, if, and in radiology, many, most of our patients come when they have an acute medical condition. They have um, acute back pain or, or a cough or shortness of breath or abdominal pain. So they come for uh, radiology for imaging to get that evaluated. But if, if they miss their, an appointment because of difficulty on how they connected with the healthcare system and how we connected with them, then we're really delaying the care and negatively impacting outcomes for them. So that's where we want to really address them just so um, my goal is to really see how radiology can connect better with patients so they can um, receive timely care you know, that is high quality and equitable. I've never thought about all those things. So I, I love the story that you shared that you just had this um, one really illustrative encounter with a patient who had a language barrier and that's why she missed appointments. And then you gave other examples of transportation, um, which may be difficult to just get to the appointment. And then you summarized it really nicely by saying people don't come for imaging services just for fun. There is a, a problem, a real acute problem. And any delay in imaging is really going to delay everything that's downstream of that, right? Everything that would help the patient to deal with this problem. So this is a real chance for intervention. Um, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about that really piqued my interest about you is that you are interested then in outreach to patients. Um, and you've, you've given us already a couple of insights into that, just even in your thinking around different language, around no-show appointments. So maybe talk to us a little bit about what does patient outreach look like in lung cancer? It really depends on the patient population that you're trying to connect with. So for example, um, one, one thing that I advocate for lung cancer in particular with uh, lung cancer screening that is more per pertinent to radiology is that we're in a unique position with a relatively new cancer screening tool to proactively provide, uh, do outreach for 
patient population that are traditionally underserved and usually suffer from healthcare disparities in other cancer screening areas. So, for example, um, underrepresented minorities such as uh, Latinos or African American population or people from lower socioeconomic backgrounds typically have um, more difficulty connecting with, for example, colorectal cancer screening. But lung cancer screening is relatively new modality. So if we proactively do outreach for those underserved populations, then we are trying to at least mitigate um, the disparity gap before they re- the traditional disparity gap before they really sink in. But for example, outreach for people with limited English um, proficiency or like people with um, other language that is not English, it would be like multilingual educational material for lung cancer screening. Hmm. So instead of providing patient flyers only in English, we can provide them in Spanish and other languages that are just more accessible for them. Also, um, health literacy level and, and reading proficiency. I think that a lot of the material tends to be more higher uh, geared toward higher education, but we know that people have different health literacy levels and under and readability levels. So how can we make the, even if it's in English, how do we make the material more accessible uh, for them? Because knowledge is um, how we can empower patients to get them engaged into healthcare. Um, another way that we're trying to do is, for example, um, one of the work that we're doing is with patients with um, schizophrenia or bipolar disorder, which we call serious mental illness. So these patients tend to be see more um, a mental health clinician more frequently than a primary care. But traditionally, um, cancer screening is something that is the responsibility of primary care. But if they see a mental health clinician, let's say uh, every, uh, every month or every other month, and this is a more trusted relationship, why can't we just uh, leverage that trusted setting and at least provide information and maybe engage the patient to think about lung screening rather than just leaving that responsibility completely on the primary care side. Can I can I ask no, you a question just about that before yep. we before we move on? I'd love to yep. know more what I just want to make sure I understood correctly. What you're suggesting is that patients who have mental illness may see a primary care physician on a fairly regular basis, but um, perhaps not have the opportunity unless you are doing outreach. Um, to engage around screenings with a primary care physician. So that's a relationship you're thinking about leveraging. Is that, did that summarize it reasonably well? Well, I would say the mental health clinician rather than the primary care mental physician, okay. because some, sometimes they see, for example, like I'll go for an annual checkup um, one, you know, once a year, and sometimes it may take longer. But I may see other specialists, so for example, uh, let's say a patient that is, um, with schizophrenia or bipolar, they may be seeing their mental health clinician more frequently than once a year. They may see him um, every month or every other month. Some of them go for a short, uh, certain time, go weekly. So one, um, and mental health, typically fragmented of like um, seeing like something separate from the rest of um, care. But I think that what we want to do is just bring mental health clinicians to collaborate with primary care and radiology with the goal of um, advancing lung cancer screening for a population that typically is hard to reach and suffers from, a, they suffer from premature mortality because of, uh, they die 15, 30 years younger than, uh, than the regular population that doesn't have serious mental illness. And a lot of it, the second most um, common cause is cancer uh, wow. for this patient population. So they have a higher uh, smoking prevalence. 
Um, their care tends to be fragmented. Their mental health care tends to be fragmented for the rest of general care. So sometimes they get um, lost in the system and they don't get the care that they deserve in a timely fashion. So why don't we get everybody to work together to bring this patient more than just working in silos. So why don't we have primary care, radiology, and mental health working together uh, and partner with the patient to, um, for example, in this case, advanced lung screening for them, for the patient that are, would be eligible. Wow. I mean, that all sounds fantastic to have primary care physician, radiology, um, mental health care physicians working together. But it also sounds easier said than done, but I know this is a, a place where you have significant expertise. So can you maybe share with us a little bit about either what you are finding or some inroads that you've made into kind of establishing these collaborative environments? Um, so what, what you said is absolutely uh, correct. There is some um, uh, work and for example, people uh, at the beginning would say, well, what is radiology doing in outreach? Because typically we're not as engaged in, in radiology as a field, is not as engaged in outreach and disparity work. But I think that the common thread is that we're all trying to do what is best for patients. Hmm. And once we establish that common ground that we all genuinely care to do what is best for patients, then it's just e- easier the conversation to, um, to establish so how we can work together. And then also, one of the first steps that we um, did in um, our work is just to better understand where are the barriers, right? So was, uh, one of the things that we, the first part was just to do some focus group discussion, like small group discussion to better get the perspective of primary care mental health, just to get the perspective from radiology. So how we can work together and where do you see are some gaps uh, that we can address. And that just building on relationships and um, those relationships and and everybody genuinely caring about the patient population. And what we did was just um, tailor the educational material that we have for lung screening to fit the needs and capacities for uh, patients with serious mental illness. So for example, that we made the language easier to understand, um, just more repetitive ideas. So uh, there's just materially easier to comprehend. Also the, um, what we had a what to expect video of lung screening that would be better suited for the patient population. So making sure that the, we really uh, show them how um, no preparation is needed, no needles is needed for lung screening, for example, that they can keep their belongings with them throughout the, the process because some of the patients have paranoia. So that's really important for them mm-hmm. to know that they can keep their belongings all the time and also to let them know about the benefits of, of smoking uh, cessation for them um, because a lot of these patients have um, socioeconomic barriers as well. So not only we talk to them about the health benefits of uh, quitting be, that go beyond lung cancer and they'll improve their overall health, but also there is a financial benefit because a pack of cigarettes is very um, expensive. So if they can get that, um, I say to patients, if you can get that money back in your pocket, wouldn't that be better? But you would feel better. And um, I have to say that um, this work has been truly rewarding because we embedded uh, this um, educational intervention or, or or program in the community mental health clinic where radiology, in this case, um, myself and a mental health clinician would work together to do these educational sessions uh, with patients. And once we, uh, we get patients um, and talk to them about lung cancer screening, they're really engaged and interested 
in doing it. So it's just uh, when when we think about this patient population, it's just about how do we offer the service to them at a at a site that is more approachable for them with uh, in a trusted setting. So how do we leverage? We have to think differently in uh, novel care. How we provide care differently for patients in that particular population that are hard to reach. So uh, speaking of the team approach and collaborations that you have, I. I'm interested to know, to know about your involvement in the National Lung Cancer Roundtable. I know that you've been significantly involved, and I'd, I maybe if you could tell us a little bit about the roundtable and my, why is this interesting to you? Why are you a member? Well, the National Lung Cancer uh, Roundtable from the American Cancer Society, mm-hmm. it just brings people from um, different sectors together to advance lung cancer the lung cancer care spectrum through uh, from screening to diagnosis and treatment to so we can achieve better outcomes for all patients. We know that lung cancer is the cancer with the highest mortality, so even more than the top three of um, other cancers combined, such as colorectal, um, prostate, and breast cancer. And I find this the National Lung Cancer Roundtable as a unique opportunity and group that is really passionate about advancing equitable lung cancer care for everybody and not only lung cancer care, but also uh, smoking cessation and, and quitting and assisting people to get to quit. And as a more than um, a group of collaborators that are equally passionate about this, my role, um, I also work for the provider, provider outreach group or committee. So what we're trying to do is uh, how we advance lung cancer screening for um, all patients across the United States, because we know that the benefits of lung cancer screening in early detection and reducing lung cancer mortality. But unfortunately, even though we have millions of people that are eligible for lung cancer screening, less than 10% are actively participating in lung cancer screening. So how we can advance this and how do we make sure that people know about lung cancer screening, how to make it accessible in terms of information, but also location, how to make it um, easier for patients to connect with this because Lung cancer early detection is definitely the best treatment for this. It gives patients more options, and what we try to tell, say to patients is just lung cancer screening can serve as a vehicle not only for early detection and to take care of, uh, take control of your overall health, but also um, as an opportunity to discuss, as a vehicle to advance smoking cessation. And that's really a big public health initiative um, that um, is unique to lung cancer screening compared to other cancer screening modalities. So the impact it really go, can go beyond radiology or primary care or, or oncology. It can really advance a, a public health um, initiative um, and move forward. So with all that being the case, that you've got this really fantastic group that's bringing people together from all different sectors and working towards better outcomes, you you do have some pretty unique opportunities to be impactful. I'm I'm interested to know your thoughts on how the National Lung Cancer Roundtable could really hit where your sweet spot is, and that is in targeting vulnerable patient populations. So what I think that the National Lung Cancer Roundtable, how can it be more impactful? It just uh, it can be like a, a centralized um, resource for patients that is available um, no matter your background. So, for example, if English is not your primary language, we'll have uh, material that is going to be 
available for people that speak other languages that feel more comfortable. Also, the material that is there is going to be at a readability scale, so accessible for people um, that are grade level, right? So what we want is at least elementary or middle school uh, people, so, uh, people that have um, at that reading level that can understand our material. And also connect people with resources. Where can they get screened? But also if they're interested in quitting um, smoking, how do, uh, what are some of the options for them? Ideally, the best way to partner with patients is just um, the first step to do that is to provide them with the information that is going to be relevant and accessible for them. I truly believe in, um, in empowering patients through knowledge. And the National Lung Cancer Roundtable with all the resources and the website and the people that are participating um, are really going to be key in advancing um, this mission of empowering patients to get engaged in lung cancer screening, smoking station, and improving lung cancer outcomes overall for everybody. I'd be interested to know in kind of as we think about the big picture with all of the great things that you and your colleagues in the roundtable are doing in lung cancer, you shared some pretty scary statistics. So is there's a great need for all of this work, and we're so grateful that you're doing it. Um, I just wonder, is there something that you wish that more people knew about lung cancer? That's a fantastic question. And as a, um, if I had a, um, uh, like a wish, it would be that we eliminate the stigma from lung cancer. Not only people that um, smoke can, um, or have smoked in the past can get lung cancer, but, any, but there are other factors that come into play and environmental exposure that, and um, genetic predisposition that increases your chance of getting lung cancer. So in, what I try to tell people is that no one, regardless if they smoked or not, no one deserves lung cancer. So we want to eliminate the stigma from this, and I think that's um, what I wish more people knew because um, any cancer diagnosis is such a, a hard diagnosis for people to deal with. So the least that we could do is you'll have them also deal with the social stigma associated with any cancer. It's in, hard enough for them to deal with diagnosis and the implication of treatment and also on their, on their families and loved ones. So we should not have uh, patients worry about all the other social implications about, or like the stigma about lung cancer, because really that's not, um, no one uh, deserves cancer. And that's, um, that's what I would probably say. So you've shared some really wonderful resources with us today and your thoughts around reducing barriers and accessibility to care in lung cancer. Um, some of the work that you do, some of the research that you do, uh, was early on supported by the American Cancer Society. I'd, I'd love to know if there's a, a way that this resource impacted your career. Absolutely. I, I'm very grateful for the American Cancer Society. I, my first funded project uh, was through um, the American Cancer Society IRG grant, and it was to improve lung cancer screening for patients with serious mental illness you know, those with uh, bipolar and schizophrenia. And, um, and that has allowed me not only to expand um, the people that I collaborate with, but also take a deeper dive to understanding where are there are patients' needs. And this really serves as a uh, first step to continue this path of um, 
for me as a um, not only as a um, clinician in radiology but also as a researcher with a particular focus in lung cancer screening. So this has led me to additional projects that are currently being funded by the American College of Radiology and the National Cancer Institute Research Diversity Supplement to really address other gaps in lung cancer screening. For example, um, people with Medicaid or, um, or Latino patients, how, how do we make lung cancer screening more accessible? But none of this would have been possible with that big first step from the American Cancer Society that really instrumental in my career. Well, that's awesome. I'm so glad that we were a part of it. Um, your, your passion for addressing these gaps in lung cancer screening um, is obvious. So we're, we're thrilled for your progress and so happy to have been a, a part of that. Um, I, before I let you go, I have just one more question. Lots of folks who listen to this podcast have a personal reason, and that's because they are either a cancer patient or they love somebody who has cancer. So is there a particular message that you would like to share with these listeners? What I would like to tell cancer patients or caregivers is that we, in the healthcare part, uh, we're working along with you. We're partnering with you to get you to um, not not only receive the care that, that you need, but also just to live a long and healthier life. So uh, we are partners in everything in, in terms of bringing them to not only cancer screening, but also providing them knowledge. And if there's a diagnosis, we're going to be working together. There's, um, because for people like me and others that collaborate, uh, p- patients are truly the center of um, of the healthcare system. They're really really the captains of the, of the I say, the boat or the ship. Uh, when when it comes to to their care, they are the ones we always re- respectful of their of uh, their medical decisions. But also, we're gonna work with them um, together to get them to where they um, to achieve that goal of better health. And that's what I would like to tell patients. And one more thing that is um, when I say um, no stigma, when it's really no labels, medical conditions don't define people. Nobody's defined by cancer. Nobody uh, defined by uh, diabetes or any, any other medical condition. And that's the one thing that I, I truly, um, when I say care with no label, it's really being compassionate about um, putting ourselves in the shoes of patients. So we're really actively trying to do that because we want to achieve that and we want to make sure that patients only focus on their health, no other barriers. And the first thing would be um, trying to eliminate the uh, labels that are typically used in healthcare. I love that analogy that you shared that patients are the captain of the ship because what that means is that you and your colleagues and all of us, we're the crew and your, it sounds like your central message is that this is a compassionate crew. Um, We're all in this together and um, no one has to address cancer alone. So I think I speak on behalf of the entire American Cancer Society, when I say thank you for all that you do. We are grateful, and we wish you the best of luck. Well, thank you so much for having me, and um, anytime. This is the least uh, that I can do for American Cancer Society, but more so for all patients. It's really been uh, truly an honor and a great opportunity.